Take your Bible, if you would, and let's turn today to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We're going to be today, I just realized I accidentally brought my phone up here with me. This is a great opportunity for you to turn off your phone if you have not. There we go. All right. And I'll switch my microphone. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 is where we are. If you do not have a Bible for yourself, then please uh, get one of the black Bibles that's on the end of each pew. It should be on page 941 in that Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at all, uh, then just keep that one. That's our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word right there where you can use it in your own home, and your life, on a regular basis. Um, so, as we come to this place in Romans, uh, the end of a section that has run all the way from Romans 1, verse 18, all the way up to where we're going to get to today, to Romans 3, verse 20. Last week, what we saw was a summary of that entire section. It was summarized in this statement, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. The whole thing in those chapters up till now has been showing us there is no one who stands righteous before God in themselves, by their works, in who they are. And why is it that God has told us this? Did God tell us this just so that we could know how bad we are? Well, partly, partly, but he's going to give us part of the point. Leading up to the good news, the point of this whole passage is coming right now in Romans 3, verses 19 and 20. Let's read it. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that Every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. All right. I'm going to sum it up right now. This is the whole sermon. I'm going to tell it to you in one line. You can't get right with God by doing what is right. You hear that? You can't get right with God by doing what is right. That's what these verses have just told us, and that is the point of this big section that started at Romans 1.18, with the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, expanding to show how that is true among all of the Gentile nations across all of the world, and then zeroing in and showing how that is true even of this ethnic people that God used to bring the Savior into the world, the Jewish people. It is true for Jews and Gentiles and Greeks and barbarians that there is no such thing as getting right with God through what we can do. There is nothing that you can do that can justify you in God's sight. We need to know this so that we can then know what is the way to get right with God, which is not something from ourselves. It is through faith in Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone. Every other system in the world besides the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that's contained here in the book of Romans and throughout the Bible, every other religious system relies on what we call law. Law is the rules. Law is what you ought to do. Law sometimes tells you you ought not to do these things. And then law sometimes tells you you ought to do these things. 
And of course, God has his law. It's most clearly summarized in the Ten Commandments. It's summed up in the two statements that summarize even the Ten Commandments that Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is God's law that's there, but every other system says you can be right, you can be saved, whatever they would define salvation as, through what you do, through law. You can see this in all kinds of systems that are in the world, all kinds of religions. They have all kinds of other things mixed into it, but ultimately that's what they all come down to. Do these things, don't do these things, and eventually you will make it. You even see that within systems that still retain the name of Christ, still call themselves Christians, and yet have departed from the gospel that is preached here in the Bible. You see that in systems like Roman Catholicism that says, yes, we must receive the grace of God, plus we must have these works. You see that in systems like Protestant liberalism. And now some of you may wonder, why does Pastor Daniel talk about Protestant liberalism so much? Well, it's something that almost swallowed my family growing up, and I'm so glad it didn't. It's something that a couple of different times in the history of this church almost swallowed this church up, and I'm so glad that it didn't. And so you see that in these systems where there would be those who would say, well, we, we, uh, you know, we, we like Jesus and we want to keep on being Christians, but these people who are there, they're preaching all of these fundamental doctrines of the Scriptures, they're legalists. They are saying, well, sin is really, really ugly and really matters, and God sends people to hell over sin. And then they would turn and they would say, well, we are the ones who really exercise grace because we think that the way of salvation is to be nice to people, to do good things, to, to listen, be nice to people, do good things. It's not the way of salvation. This really, really struck me a few years ago when I read this book called Love Wins by a guy named Rob Bell. Uh, about 15, 10 or 15 years ago, Rob Bell was this guy. If you don't know who he is, you're, you're better off. I'm sorry I brought up his name. Um, but he was just sort of like really exploding in evangelical circles, especially in circles like I was around at the time among teenagers and college students. And, um, and, and people were sharing these short little videos that he was making. Everybody was like, wow, this guy is amazing. He's, he's really showing us a, a new way to do the Christian faith. And, and all of it was kind of weird. And, uh, and I, was, I was looking at it and saying, this guy, there's something really, really off about this guy. Well, Eventually, he came out with this book where it was sort of like his coming out of the closet as a, uh, as a person who embraces liberal theology called Love Wins, where, where he, he, his, his argument is basically those who, who talk about hell ought to stop talking about hell because the only people who actually go to hell are the people who say that people go to hell. And, and, and the only thing that really sends you to hell is, is, is the legalism of, of these fundamentalists. Who, and, and if you really, really want to, to live the life of heaven, the way to do it is, is to be kind to people and to help to, to dig clean water wells in Africa and to, to do all of these, these things that would support justice in the world. And I came away from that, and the reason I'm telling you this is because that was the moment in my life when I realized... When you walk away from the gospel, 
all you have left is the law. Here is a guy who, who was saying that those of us who preach the gospel contained in the Bible are Pharisees and legalists, and he called this gospel that we preach a gospel of goats. He, he, he said that, but what did he have to replace it with? Law. Law that would be more popular among the world Law that didn't necessarily have anything to do with sexual ethics or remaining unstained by the world, but still law that had primarily to do with caring for widows and orphans in their distress, which obviously the Bible commands us to do. Law that had to do with fighting for what would be perceived as justice in politics and in the world. And yet, just law, just law, do this and live. I'm telling you all that just to say that there is no alternative. When you walk away from the gospel, whether you're walking to another religion or whether you're just saying those people in my old church are fundamentalists and I just want to be nice to everybody, when you walk away from the gospel, the only thing you have left is law. Do this, be good enough. That's it. There's only two possibilities and everybody outside the gospel is living under law, living under law, and nobody is going to be saved by that. They can cut off the gospel and keep the law, and they can change it to their liking, but it is still just law. And what does the law do? Well, that's what we're going to see in these verses. Romans 3, verses 19 and 20, it starts out and it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. We'll just pause right there. Under the law. The law speaks to those who are under the law. What is that talking about? Being under the law is being in the realm of the law. Everybody in the world is either in the realm of the law or in the realm of God's grace. You are either under the law or you are under God's grace. You are either a child of the wrath of God that is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, as it says in Romans 1.18. You're either in that realm under the law, or you are under the realm that came one verse before that in Romans 1.17, the righteousness of God that is revealed from faith to faith. But apart from faith, everyone is not in that realm, but in this realm, in the realm of the law. It's saying there are two systems. You can almost think of this as operating systems. I think I got that years ago from a sermon by Tim Keller. That you only have two possibilities. When you, when you go to the, the store and you buy a computer, there's a few more now than there used to be. But it just used to be either you get Windows or you get Mac and that's it. And one operating system would do this and the other operating system it would do similar stuff. But it's just two different systems. Well... You and I come preloaded with one operating system, and it is the operating system of being under the law, the operating system that we feel from the heart like we ought to be able to just do good enough and live, and yet it's the operating system where the law comes and accuses you, and you will not live. What we need is we need to be transferred out from under the law into the grace and righteousness of God. In that system, it is totally different. 
in the system of God's grace, we are already righteous before God by faith in the righteous Jesus. And then we live in response to that. Let me put it this way. When, when you watch figure skating on TV, which I used to do every four years, and I haven't watched much Olympics recently, but I remember growing up uh, in, uh, with, with my parents, we would always have the Olympics on when it was on. We would watch these figure skaters, and, and you know, you're, you're rooting for the Americans, and, and you, you want to see them do great. And the best moment is when they give, go out there and they give a perfect performance. But even after you watch the perfect performance, even after you have the commentators who have said, well, there were no mistakes, there was nothing here that would have counted against them according to the rules. It was beautiful, it was great. You still hold your breath because you don't know what the verdict from the judges is going to be. What number will they hold up? Every once in a while, you would get the straight sixes. Perfect performance. But if one of those judges decided, no, it's a 5.9, that's not a 6.0. I mean, they, they, they might still win the gold medal, but it wasn't a perfect performance because the judges said so. That's the realm of being under the law. That's how we know to operate from birth, is this idea, I will do my performance, and in response, God will give the judgment. There's a problem with that. The problem is you will be judged unrighteous. God's verdict will be guilty. Here's what grace looks like. Being out from under the law and under the realm of God's free gift of righteousness by his grace through faith in Jesus. Here's what it looks like. The skater goes out onto the ice, and before she ever starts, the judges all hold up straight sixes. And everybody cheers. And it's an even greater celebration than if she had earned it. And then in response to the straight sixes, she goes and gives a beautiful performance. Guys, the gospel is the system where the verdict comes first. You are declared righteous first before your performance. And then in response, you go and you live in the grace of God. But before that, the system that we're born under is the verdict of guilty. It's the verdict of being under the law. It is the verdict of Put your performance out there and we'll see how you did and you didn't do good. That's all you've got before you come to Christ. It says this. Let's look at these words. Whatever the law says, the law there being God's righteous rules. Do this, don't do that. Those are good rules. And what the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And what is the purpose? He says, so that every mouth may be stopped so that every mouth may be stopped. What does that mean? Well, that's a, a phrase that's used a few different times in the Bible, and it's this idiom to mean it puts away every excuse. 
You can think of it almost in a courtroom setting where, where there would be a defendant on one side and he has the prosecutor on the other side saying these accusations against him and then he or his defense attorneys would be, would be saying, well, here is the explanation, here is the reason, here is the argumentation. This is a statement from the judge, you must stop talking. There is no defense. It's putting away every excuse. It's putting away every objection to God's verdict of guilty against us. That every mouth may be stopped, and he does it by the law. I want to know, have you tried to make excuses to God? Have you maybe tried to justify yourself in various ways? Because from your perspective... You feel that really there, there was a good reason for the way that you have lived. Maybe you think, well, my actions, from my perspective, they are justified because, fill in the blank, or my way of life, from my perspective, is, is justified. My, my way of speaking, my way of thinking, if God would just put himself in my shoes and see things from my angle... You know, God, come and see this, and you'll see that I had perfectly good reasons for the way that I thought and spoke and felt and lived. Guys, God understands your perspective perfectly well. He really does, but he has a much better perspective. God has the eternal, perfect, righteous perspective. Whatever view that you may have of why you yourself should be justified for your works, Proverbs 16.25 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man. You might almost say from his perspective. Seems right to him. But its end is the way to death. God's perspective is the right one. And what God does is he shuts mouths with the law. He shuts mouths like the mouth of the Pharisee that Jesus told a story about who went up to the temple to pray. And he was standing there next to a tax collector who was a reviled white-collar criminal. And he's standing there, and the Pharisee says this. Here's what the Pharisee's mouth says. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And do you know what God does according to this passage in Romans? God holds up to him the law. The Pharisee stands there and says, here is my excuse. Or maybe not even excuse, but here is the evidence that I am righteous before you, God. I don't do these things. I don't commit extortion. I don't do injustice. I don't do adultery. I don't do that tax collector stuff like that guy does. Here's what I do, God. I fast twice a week. I am deeply devoted to you, God. I give tithes of all that I get, and not just in my time, but in my body, with my hunger, and in my money. Look, God, look at all the good that I am doing in accordance with this religion that you have established, God. And do you know what God does with that Pharisee? He stops his mouth. He stops his mouth. It's the wrong answer. Jesus is saying there is nothing that you can do 
to be right with God. You cannot be right with God by doing what is right or by not doing what is wrong. You know who it is that walked away right with God that day? It was the tax collector that the Pharisee said, God, thank you that I'm not like him. And why did he walk away right with God? It says he lifted up his eyes to heaven and beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he's the one who walked away justified, right with God, forgiven that day, and not the other man. What the law does, the law of God will stop every mouth. Even the mouths that are not stopped in this world, they will be stopped in the day of judgment. And they'll be stopped by means of God's righteous rules, by the law. I want to know, have you tried to justify yourself in various ways? I I mentioned just a minute ago, you could say, well, God, from my perspective, there's other ways to do this too. You could do what the Pharisee said. You could recite your good works to God. You could recite to him why you haven't done your bad works. You could also come to God and say, all right, I'm aware of my sins, but I have reasons for them. I have excuses. I know that it would be wrong for someone else, but here's my situation. You, you, could, you could say, well, you could use whataboutism. And say, well, sure, I did that, but everybody does. What about this guy? What about that guy? What about the thief on the cross? His life was way worse than mine. And Jesus said he'll go to heaven. What about, well, what, what if you say, well, it's, it's normal. That's a way our mouths run to try to excuse ourselves before God. Yeah, I don't think that this is totally in line with the scripture, but everybody seems to do it. Everybody around me, everybody in the world. Lots of people that I know at church. God forbid. That's worldliness. Might need to turn off your TV for a few weeks and reset your brain if that's your excuse. You might say, well, maybe, maybe there's another mouth on my side. Maybe I'm not going to use my mouth, but I'll see if Mary and the saints can intervene. Well, do you know what? It says every mouth will be stopped. Every mouth. Maybe I could get a priest to come and do it for me. This is like hiring a lawyer in God's courtroom. God's going to stop the lawyer's mouths too. He's going to stop it all. And what's he going to do it by? He's going to do it by the law. That is the instrument by which he will prove that no one has any excuse. No one has any excuse. Guys, If we think that there is any possibility that we can contribute in any way to being right with God by what we would do, we are wrong. And the way that God will show you that you were wrong is if you take an honest look at his law. Summarized in the Ten Commandments. The best question that I know of to ask somebody to begin to just clearly tell them the gospel. If you're talking to somebody who needs to come to faith in Christ, the best question to ask them, in my experience, is this. If you died today and you were standing before God and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? 
And when you ask that question, you're going to hear from somebody, what is it that would come out of their mouths? What is the excuse that God will one day put a stop to by his law? You'll hear it. Now, every once in a while, you, I'll, I'll, I've asked that question to somebody and they have said, I don't have any reason to give to God. I don't know why. I praise God when I hear that because that means that God has been working on their hearts already and they're in a position to know we can move straight to the good news of the death of Jesus for their sins and we can get that sweet relief by trusting in Jesus and where there are mouths that would say, well, I think that I am a pretty good person or I pray all the time, which is similar to what the Pharisee said when he was standing at the temple, or this, or that, or I'd love my family deeply, all all kinds of things that come out of their mouths. Well, it usually has something to do with being a good person. And do you know what we can do in sharing the gospel in those situations? We can do what it says here. We can use the law to stop mouths. We don't want those people to get to the point where they're standing before God and still giving those excuses. We want their mouths to be stopped by the law now so that they will then turn to the gospel and receive the free grace of God in Christ. Now, what does that look like? Well, it, it's, it's actually pretty simple. Somebody says, I'm a pretty good person. You can say, well, are you familiar with the Ten Commandments? Most people will say, Yes. Probably not as familiar as they think they are, but they'll say yes. And you say, well, tell me what some of those commandments are. And they will tell you the ones that they know. They'll usually say, well, you shouldn't lie, which is part of the ninth commandment, which says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't murder. Shouldn't, they might know that it says you shouldn't commit adultery. Some, some people know that. Then you can come to them and you can say, well, you just told me that God's law says that you shall not lie. Have you ever told a lie? And the answer is going to be yes. Or the answer is going to be a lie, and then it's yes. And you can say, well, what do you call somebody who tells a lie? The answer to that is a liar. You could go on. You could say, well, what about stealing? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever downloaded something that you didn't have the right to download? Have you ever taken something from the office supply closet? As a child, did you ever sneak into your sister's room and grab something that you thought you deserved more than her? Yeah, you can go down the list, and what you're going to find is that if God judges us by his law, we're going to be doomed. If God judges that person that you're talking to by his law, they will be doomed. They will be doomed. If you want to see some expert conversations that are very simple and easy to copy like this, go to YouTube and type in Ray Comfort. If you don't know that name, then go... Pull out your pen right now and write it down. Ray Comfort. And you will see, it'll pull up hundreds of videos 
where Ray Comfort just goes out on the street, talks to people about the gospel, and over and over and over you can see him just breaking down these barriers by bringing up what the Ten Commandments says and showing people, yes, I am a sinner against God, and no, I cannot be judged righteous if the standard is whether or not I'm a good person. It's a, it's a really helpful resource, but guys, you need to know whether you are talking to somebody who needs the gospel or whether you are somebody who right now might be running your mouth before God. God's law will stop every mouth. It'll take away every excuse. It gives another reason for the law and why, why it is that the law would speak to people who are under the law in the realm of judgment. Well, the, he said one reason is so that every mouth may be stopped. And then the last words of verse 19, it says, so that the whole world may be held accountable to God. The whole world held accountable to God. That word accountable there in the King James Version is translated as guilty. Not just accountable, but guilty. And I think that's probably the better translation there. Guilty. Under indictment. Not just accountable in the sense that there is somebody out there who will be looking over your shoulder, but that you will be presented as guilty in the court of law before God. Guilty. And who will you be guilty to if your faith is not in Christ? Well, the whole world will be held accountable, it says, to God. God is the one who's been sinned against. It is more serious that we have sinned against God than even sinning against people. This, this judgment of God, it's not about man's systems. It's not about saying, but what I did was legal. It's not about man's definition of what is right and wrong, which usually has to do with whether or not some other human being is harmed. Even the secret things that never harmed anyone and never even came across anyone's minds that no one ever knew happened at all, it's sin against God. It says here so that the whole world will be held accountable, not for whether or not you harmed someone, but to God, to God. Everybody would stand guilty before God. Who, who does it say? Well, it says the whole world. And I just want to remind you, this is summing up and putting the fine point and the exclamation point on Romans 1, verses 18, all the way to where we've gotten to right now, where he talked about the Gentile world and the Jewish world and everybody from everywhere. And he says, the whole world will be judged by God's law and be held accountable to God. Whole world. Now, this guilt this being held guilty. R.C. Sproul used to bring up pretty often that when he is, was doing evangelism, I, I want to say is, but he, uh, he went to be with the Lord a few years ago, but when he was doing evangelism, that often people would have an excuse after an excuse after an excuse. They would have an apologetic question followed by another one, followed by another one. They'd bring up, how do you know God exists? And he'd answer that. And then they'd bring up, well, what about evolution? And he'd answer that. And then they'd bring up, well, what about other religions? And he'd answer that. Just go on and on, a never-ending series of excuses and questions. And then he would say, he would say, stop. Stop just a minute and let me ask you a question. Here's the question. What do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt? And he said that, Nobody ever says, well, I don't have guilt. Everybody had some kind of an answer. 
some kind of an awareness of their guilt. Now, you break that down in a few different ways. There's subjective guilt, which is, do I feel guilty? And then there's objective guilt, which is, am I actually guilty? And there is, there is, those two things don't necessarily always correspond to each other. But here's the important thing that we need to know is, what do I do, not just about the feeling that I have of being guilty, about, but about my actual status of guilt before God? The answer that's given here is, there is nothing that you can do to eliminate your guilt. And what we're going to see, starting in verse 21, is that it's what has been done to eliminate your guilt. The sacrifice of Christ for us on the cross. God's grace in Jesus Christ. But the whole world, it says, will be held accountable before God. Psalm 143 verse 2 says this, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. No one. Every person of every age through all history, the worst people you can think of, the best people you can think of, the atheists that you think of, the most religious people that you think of, the whole human race was born under the realm of the law. And in that realm would only be held guilty. And the only way, the only way to salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. It can never be by something that you would do in obedience to God's law. It just can't. Now, part of the reason why God set it up this way is to just make the beauty of the gospel bright. It says this directly in a couple of verses. Galatians 3.22, it says, The Scripture, by that it means the rules that are contained in the Bible, the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. He says, here is the reason why God's written rules in the Bible put everybody in the status of sinner and guilty. Here's the reason. It's so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ would be given to those who believe. Or another way it's put is in Romans 11.32. It says, for God has consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. It's when you come to a realization that you cannot be anything but a disobedient rebel in God's sight by your own works. When you come to that realization, that is when you're prepared to receive the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. God uses his law for this. When we get to heaven, it says the whole world Guys, when we get to heaven, there's going to be Jews and Gentiles and men and women. There's going to be those who were lifelong slaves. There's going to be those who were lifelong royalty. There's going to be rich and poor. There's going to be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. But here's the thing that every single one of us will have in common. It's that we all got there the same way. Everybody in heaven will have gotten there the same way, and it's the one way that God has given. And it is this way that is offered freely to you 
The way is by God's grace alone that's given to us in Christ alone. That's the heart of what we call fellowship as Christians. Fellowship has something to do more deeply than just having coffee together. That's a place that facilitates fellowship. But what we have in fellowship is we have a sharing together of something that we have in common that transcends all worldly things. It transcends who you like for your sports team. It transcends how old you are or what you're into or what kind of a a, a cultural background you came from. All of these things, we have fellowship together and sharing. We have come into the kingdom through the same gate who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We share in the same Savior, in the same grace, in the same spirit, the same Lord, the same faith. And then he says in verse 20, that no one can be justified by works. Now, didn't we already say that? Yes. In fact, we've been saying that over and over and over and over in Romans. But listen to this, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No human being. Now, by works of the law. I've got to just say here that there are some who approach this verse and others like it in the Bible, and they'll say, well, works of the law, that's not talking about just good things that you do. That's talking about the regulations of the Mosaic law. That would have to do with the markers in law between being a Jew and being a Gentile, things like circumcision and the particular sacrifices and the kosher laws and this thing and that thing. And by claiming that that is the case, some have really even, I would say, overturned the gospel in saying, well, we have a new perspective on what Paul was saying. We, we think that this was not really about being justified by faith alone, that this was more about uh, showing that Jews and Gentiles can get along together when they trust in Jesus. The Bible does show that Jews and Gentiles can get along together when they trust in Jesus. It does show that. But this is saying, you just look at the words that are here. He says, by works of the law, no human being or back in the verse before it, the whole world held accountable. This is not just about whether or not people need to express some level of Jewishness to embrace the Jewish Savior. This is about the fact that the entire world is under sin, under the law of God, and that there is nothing that anyone in the world can do by their works to make themselves right with God. That's what this is saying. It's about the law that God has over all humanity. And yes, it's most clearly expressed in the Bible. And it's also put on human hearts. As it says in in Romans 1, verse 32, they know God's decree. Even those out there far away with no access to the Scripture. They know something of God's decree. As it says in Romans 2, verses 14 and 15, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. All that to say, we are talking about God's rules for everybody. And what he's saying, just plainly, is you can't get right with God by doing what God says to do. You can't get right with God by doing what's right. Nobody can. When it says the word justified here, it's important we we know what we're talking about. 
By works of the law, no human being will be justified. Justified here is being declared not guilty in God's court. It, it is being let off the hook. It's being declared in the right instead of in the wrong. And this says, no one can stand right before God by works of the law. Does that mean that the works of the law are not really what God wants us to do? No. God commanded things on purpose. What God said, you shall not commit adultery. We don't say, well, I can't be saved by, by not committing adultery, therefore, I guess I might as well commit adultery. That's not how this works, all right? God's law is still good. We are still supposed to do what God says to do, and we are still not supposed to do what God says not to do. The point here, though, is doing things will not save you. You can't be justified by them, even though they really are commanded. Now, how do you put together chapter 2, verse 13, with chapter 3, verse 20. Point your eyeballs at those things. Chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. It sounds like those who do good things are going to be right with God. How do we put that together with, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight? Well, here's the answer. No one can do it. No one can do the law. You can't be justified by it because you can't do it. It's not within your power. You've already broken it anyway. Your chance is already shot. You can't do it. You can't get right with God by doing what's right with God because no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That's what it said a few verses before this. That's why you can't be justified by the law. So how can somebody be justified? How can you be right with God? He's going to say it later in this chapter. Verse 28 of Romans 3. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Hmm, I love that. When we know that you can't be right with God by being good, that's when you can see, I can be right with God by faith in the righteous Savior, Jesus, who died for our sins and rose for our justification. Here's how it's put in Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Guys, I wonder, I wonder, do you have works in your life that are good, that you think are contributing to your status with God? Do you, I'm not telling you don't do good things. I'm, I'm asking what's the attitude of your heart? Is the attitude of your heart because I showed up to church on a day when a lot of other people are traveling. Therefore, that elevates my status before God. Because I held back from 
screaming at my neighbor when they dumped yard waste into my backyard. This is not a thing that happened to me. I'm just giving you an example, all right? When they, because I held back, because I was still kind, points with God. That's going to that's gonna just give me a step up in his book. Guys, that kind of an attitude, that kind of an attitude is just flipped backwards from the way that God talks about it. You don't, even in part, it's not like you get this far, like 99% of the way because of the grace of Jesus and that last 1% is because you did good things. It is 100% Jesus and there is not anything in our works that can contribute in the least to our status before God. Not good works in your life, not a good attitude in your heart, not religious actions that you would take, not the amount of money that you have contributed to the church or to anywhere else, nothing. It is by God's grace alone. God's grace alone. If works contributed to it in any way, here's what Romans 11 verse 6 says. It says this, If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. If it was even a little bit on works, no grace, no salvation, no nothing. But what does it say at the end of verse 20? It says, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. All right? If the law can't make you right with God, what can it do? It can make you guilty. It can make you know that you are a sinner before God. Knowledge of sin, convicting and convincing men of their sin. In Reformed circles like ours, we call this the first use of the law, and it says it right here, that the law of God, when it comes up and it shines its light on darkened human hearts, it shows that we need Jesus. It shows that we are convicted of sin. It shows that we would stand guilty before God if it were up to us. It shows us deeply that we are lost apart from Christ alone. That's what the law does. It, it could, it, it, through it comes knowledge of sin for everybody. Guys, the rules can't save you. The rules can only make you guilty before God. Did you know that the rules of football can't make you win the game? I am not much of an athlete. I never have been. But I remember when I was maybe 12 or 13 years old, there were some boys in the neighborhood that I knew uh, from school, and they invited me one day to come out to this, this field on, uh, at the edge of the neighborhood and to play some football with them. And my first thought was, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Because I, like I said, I have never been any form of an athlete. All right, Those of you who have... I, you could just think of me as, a, as that little guy that you can crush, okay? But I went out there and, to play football with these guys, and I really, I didn't, I was surprised to enjoy it, but I, one of the first things that happened was um, that this, this guy on the opposite team of me had the ball, he was running toward me, he was about to run past me, and I was thinking, how can I stop him? And I thought, why doesn't anybody else do this? And I just stuck my foot out. And I tripped the guy, and he just went tumbling. And as I was doing that, I thought, I don't, I'm, maybe I'm not supposed to do this, but, because surely other people would do this, because it just seems so obvious. You just trip the guy, and he's, he's done for. 
Well, it worked, but it was pretty quickly that I was surrounded by boys who were telling me the rules of football and saying, you cannot do that. That's off limits. Well, you know what the rules of football did there? They showed me that I was breaking the rules of football. But once I learned the rules of football, did that make me win? Of course not. Once I was following the rules of football, did that make me win? No. And you know why not? Because I stink. When you come before God's rules, God's rules can show you that you have broken them. But God's rules cannot make you stop stinking at, 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 at winning in the game of righteousness. You just can't do it. You can't do it. You cannot win. You cannot be judged righteous. You cannot enter into heaven by your works or by following the best rules that you know. You can't do it. Here's what it says in 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. We know that the law of God is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just. That means for those who are righteous in God's sight. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That's what the law does. It just shows us we're sinners. It shows us we're sinners. I want to ask you these questions. Martin Lloyd-Jones asked these questions. I want to ask them to you. Have you stopped speaking before God? It says what God's law is going to do is it's going to shut every mouth. Has it shut your mouth? Have you been silenced in the presence of God? Have you given up self-justification? Have you given up arguing against the verdict of the great apostle that's laid down here? The whole world will be held guilty before God. Guys, the bad news here is necessary to make the good news clear. The bad news is that the law shows that you are a sinner and there's nothing you can do to save yourself. But that leads us to see that the only solution that there can be is a solution that is freely given and it's something outside ourselves and it's called the gospel. The law is God's good rules and the gospel is God's good news. You can't be saved by the good rules. You can be saved by the good news of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Guys, if it had anything to do, if your standing before God had anything to do with your self-improvement, we wouldn't have good news. We wouldn't have good advice. We do have good advice. That's called the law. We also have good news. I want to know if you were ever in the position that I've been in a number of times where you were by the bedside of a dying cancer patient who doesn't know Christ, you going to give him good advice? Are you going to say to that man who could be a few hours before he goes to meet his maker, are you going to say, here's some things you can do now? That would be hopeless. You, you know what human beings need? You, you, you need to realize you are that dying cancer patient. 
Good advice is not going to get you there. It's got to be good news. Not here is what you ought to do. Here is what God has done for you and freely offers you right now. Embrace the free gift of salvation through faith in Christ. Jesus who died for sinners. We need good news. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he asked some more questions that I'm going to ask you. What if you died in another minute? There wouldn't be any time for you to get better, would there? You wouldn't have a chance to go and do the things that you resolved during this worship service that you're going to do. What, what if you were in the position of the thief who's dying on the cross? What then? Guys, the only way to be saved is the way that the thief on the cross was saved. Not by doing, but by grace. By believing in the one who has done it, whose name is Jesus. And just close with these verses from Psalm 130, which Dave read at the beginning. And we actually sang a song from this psalm, but it says this. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And the built-in answer to that question is nobody. But here's the good news. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Christ has come, that he has opened wide the door of salvation by his death on the cross, that he has risen from the dead and shown that we will have eternal life in glory for all who believe in him. But God, I pray that wherever there might be hearts that are holding out and still speaking back to God with excuses or ignoring their sin or trying to justify themselves or whatever excuse or thought it may be, I pray that you, by your law, would stop every excuse. I pray that you would hold up the plumb line of the Ten Commandments and the other laws that are in the Scriptures to their lives and hearts and show them that they are crooked sinners who are hopeless in themselves. God, I pray also that you'd show them the gospel of Jesus, that with you there is forgiveness so that you may be feared, and I pray that you'd drive them to the arms of Christ. God, I pray for us who believe. I pray that even as we believe that you'd keep us in the gospel. God, grant us by your grace no, not to begin to rely on the flesh and on works, but to continue in the grace of the Holy Spirit and to live out what you've said, not because we want a better verdict, but because you've already given us the verdict of righteous in Jesus. Father, I pray that you and you alone will be granted the glory for our salvation as you save, not in the least by our works, but wholly by grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.